Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's September 9th, 2016. You're listening to the best poker cast on the internet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Hey, I turned... Happy uh, not birthday to you. <laughs> well, it's, it's not actually your birthday. It's not really my birthday. This weekend will be my birthday. Yeah, yeah and I don't have to pay the royalties because I changed the words. That's right. Very good. Put my own little spin on it. But. Very good. Yeah, I'm going to be old this weekend. Hashtag never forget. <laughs> uh, I'm actually uh, middle-aged, and uh, that's the, the phrase that got me in trouble with FASA all those years ago. <laughs> Made me had to run a race and uh, embarrass him in front of tens of people. Yeah, well, if this is the middle of our age, that uh, I'm living well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to make it to 88, I promise you that. Uh, so we're back from our awesome trip, and I'm sick. I caught a cold somewhere between Alaska and Seattle, or on Seattle, I think. I think I, lost, I don't know when I caught it, but I'm always sick. I got no immune system. I don't know what the hell's going on. But uh, So I'm going to rely on you to do a lot, of the, a lot of the heavy lifting today. Yeah, pretty soon uh, you're going to be doing this podcast from a bubble. I know. I'll be like John Travolta. <laughs> You'd be like, Moops! It says Moops! <clears throat> it says Moops. <laughs> that was a great episode. Uh, but yeah, we're back, and uh, obviously uh, we, we filled you in like 24 hours ago when we were yeah. on the cruise. Yeah. Um, but uh, a couple stuff happened after we uh, recorded, and uh, I'm going to let you talk about this because you actually watched the, the main event. I was running the other tournament at that time, but... Our main event champion was, like, super excited. I've, like, never seen anybody that excited to win one of our cruise tournaments. Yeah, it was it was remarkable because he the, – the funny thing about it, it was, like, um, you ever see, like, those tennis tournaments when they're all focused and they're all Which serious? right now. I have never seen a tennis tournament. Come on. Tournament. You've watched Wimbledon no, or something. No, no, no. All right. Well, think of it, a competition like that where they're so serious – and then when the final point happens and it goes their way and they win the title and it, it, just, it all hits them all at once, all comes out, yeah. and then they just fall down on the ground and throw the racket or whatever. So it was it was very similar to this because he was so patient and he refused to get it, even though he was short stacked a lot of the time or whatever. He just refused to just be like. And then every once in a while, he would just give up on that strategy and just want to end it and push all in. And he tied a couple of times. They had a couple of split pots because they both had ace rag. And then he started to nip away at it. And I remember he said to the other guy something like, um, hey, if I double up one more time, we're even. And his comp- opponent said, I don't think so. And I looked at the stacks, and I'm like, yeah, because you got to remember, double the size of his stack, it comes out of your stack. Because right. when you're looking at the stacks, you think there's just no way. And sure enough, the very like next hand or hand after that, he doubled through him, and he had the lead. A couple hands later, they got it all in, and he, and when as soon as the the river was a blank, 
you're right. It's like a light switch went on, and he was just ex- he was from Canada, which is encouraging for us um, that somebody from Canada, you know, found our our cruise and took it. Yeah. And uh, and it was just he was bouncing all. He was so excited. He tipped the dealers a ton. He was just he was ecstatic and uh, very very cool. And then the rest of the cruise, he was kind of like you know all happy. And I I sat near him at dinner, and and uh, you could see he was just ecstatic. I mean, basically his cruise is paid for. You know, and uh, yeah, he came back from it. It seemed to be like a six to one chip lead, and was really, really uh, appreciative of the crews and the dealers. And, and of course, you're always that way when you win. But, yeah. but yeah, yeah, it was. It was. I sat there the whole time at the final table, just waiting for it to end so I could pay them out. And now, I'd heard man. from from where my perch at the other tournament at that time. I heard a a, a quick chop discussion, and I heard, I think I heard somebody invoke the wife. Yeah, yeah. The 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 guy who was in the lead said, you know. Uh, my wife would kill me if I chopped at this point. Ah, okay, all right. And of course, well, I wonder if she's killing him now. And then, as soon as the other guy grabs the lead, he goes, "So you were talking about a chop?" And then he's like, <laughs> "He's like, well, you turned me down before, so I guess I'll just turn you down now." Is what he said. And then, sure enough, like two hands later, they got it all in, and yeah, uh, it was pretty funny though. And it, and I was happy for him. And uh, yeah, it was just it was like you said, it was just flipping the switch, and uh, and it was a good main event too. A lot a lot of people played a lot of. A lot of rebuys and stuff, and or reentries or whatever, and rebuys. There's a difference. Yeah, it did big difference, and uh, it was cool. You know, it was, and it was funny because our tournament had been going on all day, the main event, and then we started a little small rebuy tournament over on the other side of the room, and that tournament ended before this one. It was weird, right? And it was a quick. It was so. It just to give you an idea of how fast blinds can go and. And uh, when you're playing a, a deep stack tournament versus a you know a turbo ish type thing, right. but that tournament was it passed them in blinds, and we're like their blinds are higher than our blinds already, and <laughs> it was like an hour, you know, it was hilarious. Four hours after the main event. Yeah, um, so it was cool. It was weird. You and I are running tournaments at the same time. <laughs> I think we did a pretty good job. Yeah, I, I, I only messed up seven or eight times. Yeah, no, no one really complained. So I think we're doing all right. <laughs> well, we don't know. <laughs> but anyhow, congratulations to Jim Marshall for winning the main event, and he gets a um, Ania, personalized Ania Cruise Champion jacket. Yes. I just now realize we're going to have to pay customs on sending it to Canada. Thank you very much. But, oh, yeah. Uh, but no, uh, we'll be happy with that. And uh, anything else go on? Um, I, I don't know. I, I I played a lot. Normally, I don't play that much because, you know, it just it's people are always playing or whatever, or I'm busy hanging out with the wife or something. But this week, I started a lot of games. I played a lot. And even on the last day, I was still playing a lot. And uh, I would try to get into these games, and then if somebody wanted my seat, I'd give it up. And a couple of times there were some situations where, you know, somebody would raise and I would call, and then, you know, I just like, oh, you know, I'm hitting this hand, I got to play it. And, and I don't know, I just, I played a lot. I played a lot against Johnny Hale. We got into a lot of pots together. <laughs> um, I felted him a couple of times, and he was responsible for me being felted one other time. It wasn't, he didn't felt me, but he, the way he played the hand, it cost me. The, so, it was interesting. Uh, it's the first time I got to meet him. You had met him before on an yeah, earlier yeah. cruise, uh, so that was cool. I did have one hand where I don't know how this guy gets away from it. He can't, but I had Jack Ten and it was suited, and I was in position. And um, no, I'm sorry, I was not in position. I was in the button. I was on, I was in the blinds. I mean, and um, they raised. I call with Jack Ten suited. Five came Jack Ten deuce three suits. And uh, I check to try to trap somebody because somebody raised a figure and, and nobody bets. Mm. So I'm like, 
before the turn comes out, I said, no one's going to bet. Oh, I'm going to bet then. And I, before the turn comes out, I put like a $20, $20 bet out. And the turn is a jack. Of course it was. Right? So I fill up <laughs> without even knowing. So my bet of 20 gets raised to like 45 So I'm like, wow. oh. So I raise to 90 And then this other player shoves. And I insta-call. And he had pocket deuce. He had flopped a set of deuces. And didn't yeah. bet it. Yeah. Now, even if he bets it, I'm not going anywhere, so he still loses all his money. But, you know, it could have been a very different situation on that turn, you know. And he he, he missed the street and then it cost himself his entire stack against me. And I don't know what lesson can be learned from that, but I think you should probably bet that. Because that's kind of a – it's not a – it's kind of a dry board, I guess. I mean, the Jack-10 is right into most of the cards they're going to call Raises uh, Wheelhouse. I would argue it's probably a wet board because you get – all kinds of straight possibilities there. Well, that's what I mean, Jack Ten. So that's yeah, the yeah. thing. There's no suits, and the two doesn't. I mean, any ace combination, with it, but... was, you know, ace queen, ace king. Yeah. Or any king queen. You know, there's a lot of hands that people would, would play. And he didn't bet it. And I, I mean, that's fine. I mean, it, but the next and with card, you, you didn't bet it either. So right, because I was very interesting. But two people should have bet, and neither one bet. And I'm sure you're both like, ah. Yeah, I was frustrated. Well, because I was in early position, he well, was on right, the button. He, he could have bet. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he was on the button. So I, I, it was weird that he didn't bet. Uh, he may have been the one who raised, too, if I remember correctly. I'm not sure. But I just thought, wow. I mean, that like you said, cards that call a raise are right in the wheelhouse of making Broadway on the next card. So why aren't you protecting that set? Never bet it. So I was shocked. When he went all in, I'm like, what could he have? He must have a 10 or a jack, or you know, like me, but I have the boat. He turned over pocket deuces. I was like, whoa, you flopped a set and didn't bet it, I thought. I didn't say anything to him, but I just couldn't believe it. Um, but not, not there really weren't any, any big hands or anything that I could think of to talk about just played a lot we we tried playing uh limit split games uh where it was half a hold'em and half omaha for a little while we did that twice um and had some fun with that um i really wanted to get a whole game going yeah. but uh we couldn't find enough people that wanted to play the stud part of it so that didn't happen but uh lots of hold'em and some omaha and some limit and a lot of tournaments too a lot of t- we added tournaments this time which is something we didn't yeah. normally do um, because people really like their tournaments on this cruise, so we, we gave them what they wanted. Absolutely. Uh, so I got to go to Seattle after that, my first time there. You know, I so did I, because that's where the cruise came out. Yeah, but you've been there before, <laughs> so you left right away. I stayed the whole thing, the whole touristy thing, the Space Needle, Pikes Market, yep. you know, the underground tour. Um, and uh, I had a funny story. So I don't know, did you ever take the light rail there? I know you mentioned it yeah, to me, but you have taken it. The airport. It was awesome. Yeah, was and awesome. I don't know if you noticed, but... Um, there's a couple of tunnels that you go under, yes, and, yes. and on the walls, some playing cards light up, and they're different. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, so here's the deal. So I'm on the light rail with Gene, and the first time we go, we see the cards, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I don't, I don't really understand why or what's going on, but there are these light. You know, imagine like a, a jumbotron at a baseball field, those kind of lights, <laughs> you know, the little bulbs and stuff, and... Um, they, when you go by fast enough, they light up. So you'll see like King of Hearts and Queen of Spades and Three of Clubs or whatever. So it's like a poker run. It's like a poker. Yeah, exactly. But I don't know if it changes every day. So I'm like, is that just always there like that? And what's the point of it? I don't get it. So, um, the next day we go, and sure enough, I I, I forgot what the cards were the day before. So I'm not really sure if the cards were repeated or not. And I, I seem to remember the King of Hearts every day, but I don't know if they actually change or not. So on the last day, we're going, and I'm 
sort of fades in that way, but I don't really pay attention to the... And and this fringe conversation is happening behind me, or sort of the side of me. And this guy is talking to this other guy, and he starts talking about... When those cards come up, he starts talking about poker with the guy that's standing there with him. And he starts going on about... You know, poker and blackjack are very similar, but I can't handle blackjack because I can't count that many cards, and if it's a six-deck shoe, then you can't count. But in poker, you can count, and I'm like, what's he talking? And so then he starts, and he gives an example of a flush. You know, when a flush comes, if you have a flush, draw on the flop. You have, and so he's going over all these like poker you know, axioms and stuff with this guy, and I'm just listening, listening. And he's looking at me, and then he's looking away, and... So I'm like, I don't think he knows who I am. So I'm like, well, I just... So as the, the train is coming to a stop, you know, people are rushing and everything to get off. And I'm... Because it's the day we're going to the stadium. I went to go see a, a Mariners game. So uh, I grabbed my business card and I walked by him and I said, have you ever read Annie Up Poker Magazine? He goes, oh yeah, all the time. And I hand him the card and just leave, right? <laughs> so as the train is pulling away, the light rail is pulling away, I look over and I see him up against the glass... And he's kind of like, like pounding the glass so that I get his attention. He's looking at me and he's like, "Hey!" <laughs> so, so it's just like to be continued. I'm hoping that he like shoots me an email or gives me a call because we need, and as you'll find out later on, we we kind of need an ambassador in that area. We have someone who's doing it for us, but he can't give it the time that it's needed. So, I was kind. This guy kind of knew poker. He knew what he was talking about. He was he was eloquent in the way he was speaking about it. So I was like, I didn't have time to say to him, hey, you know, I just like literally was like, hey, you ever read any up? Yeah, here's a card. And then I just kept going. So I'm hoping that this guy like shoots me an email and then I can tell the Andy Up Nation the rest of the story. But uh, maybe we'll get an a ambassador out of this, you know, who oh, knows? Missed the calendars thing on Craigslist. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But anyway, I think those it's cards. It's going to happen because it's like Sleepless in Seattle, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, we're not gonna we're not gonna meet at the top of the Empire State Building when it's over. Say, okay, you can be our ambassador. But if this guy reaches out to me, which I don't, I don't know if he's going to. It's been a couple of days since I've done that, but uh, just thought that was interesting. So anyway, I don't. If anybody, somebody wait a couple of days before you call. Yeah, that's true. You don't want to seem too needy. Yeah. Um, but if if uh, anybody is from that area, you're gonna find out later. We could use somebody in the in the Pacific Northwest. But also, if anybody rides that rail, tell me if those cards mean something. Like if they change every day and. You're supposed to select two cards in your mind with somebody and see who wins poker on the way in, and you know, like you saw a poker run. Or but if somebody gets back to me on that, I'd appreciate it. Now I'm upset I didn't see him. I must have been buried in my phone. Yeah, that's probably what it was. All right. Well, remember to go to visit antiupcruises.com for details on all eight of our upcoming cruises, including our next one, a November 14th sailing out of Tampa. Yep. And then uh, while you were uh, playing cards in the uh, Tunnel of the Light Rail of Seattle, I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, at our Annie Poker Tour event at the beautiful uh, Sandora Resort and Casino. Love going to Albuquerque. It's always fun time down there. Uh, nice resort, and they put green chilies on everything. I don't know if you've ever had green chilies on something, but they need to like, expand that beyond New Mexico. <laughs> Phenomenal. All right. Um, but, yeah, I had a great time. Got in late the, the, um, the first night. Got a good night's sleep, and then went down for the beginning of the main event. And uh, very happy to report that uh, Doug Brabson, who has been listening to the Annie Pokercast since about episode 30, is the champion of the main events. Wow. And uh, it was a pretty remarkable final table to watch. And um, uh, so, yeah, so the funny thing is, is I meant, uh, I'm going to mention a little later, but almost as soon as I got there, people were coming up and saying hi and thanking us for bringing the tour there, which I always like. Snapped a couple photos with some fans and stuff. 
Uh, Clarence Hilton, the uh, director of poker, introduced me before both of those starting flights, which was nice, too. So I had a lot of good conversations with folks, um, some listeners and some readers um, that were very excited that the tournament was there. A couple of them that didn't make it to the tournament, but uh, were happy we brought it to the area anyhow, because um, the uh, the cash games were going strong. I'll talk yeah. a little bit more about that a little bit later. But um, the table, every table in that room was packed during prime hours the entire event, which was great to see. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so day two I go down, and uh, uh, some point during day two, Doug comes up to me and uh, mentions the, um, you know, this is the show, uh, reads the magazine. I'm like, that's cool. And then, uh, so he makes to the final table, and I'm like, wow, we actually got a uh, listener that could win an event. And by the way, I think he probably is our first true Annie Up PokerCast listener to ever win an Annie Up Poker Tour championship event, main event. Could be. Yeah, one. I mean, unless you count Chicago Joe. Oh, that's true. That's an online one. That's an online one, but yeah, online brick, brick, brick and mortar, brick and mortar. Yeah, yeah no asterisk in any. Yeah, but um, but so a couple of funny things that uh, about Doug is that so during a break in the final table, um, I was interviewing uh, Clarence, the director for the story, and uh, he made a comment about how he was really impressed with this tournament director who was running his very first tournament um, and did a fantastic job, I think. And I'm like, oh, that's that's cool. Let me uh, want to snap a photo of the two of you for the magazine because that's always good to you know, recognize the staff, right? So uh, Clarence says, hey, Lex, come over. Uh, this guy wants to take a photo of us. So Doug jumps in between them, puts his arm around Clarence, and he's like, where do you want me? You want me here? You want me over here? And I'm like, uh, you know what? Uh, I'm only going to take your picture if you win. I don't care about you unless you win. <laughs> and he's like, oh, well, if an attitude like that, I'm not going to let you take my picture if I win. I'm not going to give you permission. Oh, no. And I'm like, I start cracking up. I'm like, that's awesome. Um, and then, um, you know, early in the day, um, even before the final time, he's like, you know, hey, you mind? I want to take you to dinner tonight, you know, win or lose. And I'm like, sure, I like to eat, right? And wouldn't you know it, he freaking wins the tournament. That's awesome. So I kind of felt bad that he was going to take me out to dinner, and then I didn't feel so bad when he had $18,000 more. (laughs) But super nice guy. I really appreciated uh, talking to him throughout the day and definitely at at dinner. Um, And he had a friend there, too. It was awesome. So we had a really good time. Super nice guy. He lives um, not too far from me in the Mountain Gods. And, um, you know, I asked him how he found out about the tournament, and he's like, you know, listen to your show. Read your magazine. Nice, nice. But we brought it over there. So very good. And... um, so the final table, I'm not going to bore people with it too much. If you want to go to Twitter, I did a live tweeting, which I felt like a 13-year-old girl doing that. I hate Twitter. But anyhow, uh, people appreciate it, though. I mean, I had a couple of players there that never had been in a big tournament, so they were they came over to me after they got knocked out. You know how you're always usually kind of upset when you get knocked out of a tournament, right? Yeah. Uh, the guy that finished the third came over, he had this big smile, and he's like, man, thank you for doing all that live tweeting. My family was like, you're on Twitter! <laughs> I mean, he wasn't even upset that he finished third, but, well, maybe he was a little bit upset. But it didn't look like it. Um, but uh, there was one really, really strong player at the table, and Doug will say too that in fact, actually, one of the quotes in the story was the best player did not win the tournament today. Um, so I like players that are honest about it, right? You know, because uh, you know, in poker, it's all about the bravado, right? So yeah. even if you're the worst player and you win, and I'm like, yeah, I showed him, man. You know, uh, not with Doug. He was like, uh, he's like, yeah, that guy was really good. So this guy Gary Din came into the uh, day two as a chip leader with 310,000. Next closest was 160. So he had almost wow. a two-to-one chip lead over second place out of 31 players in the tournament. Um, got to the final table and massive chip leader there, too, and just had the worst luck. Yeah, uh, he got a guy, a guy uh, like the third stack of the table, all in. Uh, he had pocket aces. The other guy had pocket tens. The guy spiked the ten. 
Ugh. and just obliterated a stack. So now I'm like, now I'm going to watch how he played. And, you know, this is, again, how what separates the good players from the great players. He was very patient. He picked his spots and kept chipping up and then doubled back through that guy. And then, um, and then Doug, our winner, had a massive hand, uh, five-handed. Uh, a short stack moves all in. The second in chips moves all in over the top. And Doug looks down at Kings. Wow. Like, I'm in, too. So it was the short stack had pocket fours. The, the second stack had pocket jacks. And uh, not that he needed it, but Doug spiked a king on the end for a full house. And uh, knocked out two players, including second in chips, and then had a massive chip lead. And then this uh, Gary guy who thought he was going to be out like in eighth place after this amazing tournament, he was like, "I might, I have a shot to win now." <laughs> <laughs> and he did. And then uh, you know, uh, Doug knocked out the, uh, the third place, and the guy ended up heads up. So I mean, what a what a, a remarkable rally from that guy. Really good player to watch to go from you know, because when that that kind of happens and your aces get cracked and you get down thin. I've seen a lot of players just like can't handle it, right? Right. They get upset and then they just shove the next hand. Oh, whatever. I'm all in, and that's terrible. And I always thought that was terrible. And it's nice to see good players also know that that's terrible. You, know, you, just, you take a lap around the table, you sit back down, you play your game again. Yeah. Guy came back and almost won, but Doug had so many chips that he uh, he just had to wait wait it out. And uh, last hand, of course, the guy shoves and Doug looks down pocket aces. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, again, congratulations, Doug. Super, I always like to see nice guys win, so look for him on the cover of the October issue of Anti Up. And then uh, our next event will be at Pearl River Resort in uh, Choctaw, Mississippi, at the end of October. So I'll be out for that too. So hopefully, our southern friends will come out and say hi. Uh, one, one funny story. So um, I uh, on Saturday was the first day I actually was there. I got in late Friday and I met Clarence, poker manager. And uh, I was talking about cash games. And I looked on the Bravo, and I saw that they had a 10-20 Omaha 8 with a half kill going. Oof. And this is like my dream game, right? Yeah. And you can never get that going anywhere here in Florida or really anywhere else I travel. And I'm like, wow, you got some big games going. He's like, oh, yeah, they, they play that every Saturday here. And I'm like, oh, really? Well, how, how late to go? And he's like, yeah, about 10 or 11. And I'm like, ah. Because what happened was when I was flying in, I'm like, I can't believe I didn't check the concert schedule in Albuquerque. Because everywhere I go, I look for concerts that I can go to at night, right? When I'm done working. Right. So I look at the schedule and I'm like, hey, Huey Lewis and News is playing at Sandia on Saturday night. Now, I'm not a big Huey Lewis fan, but I'm like, eh, I like him enough to pay 30 bucks and walk 20 steps from my hotel room to see him, right? Yeah. So I get there, buy a ticket. I'm out there at the uh, the amphitheater. It's like eight o'clock, getting ready to go, and uh, a Sandy employee walks on the stage and does the "got a little bad news, but it's not as bad as you think" thing, which always means it's even worse than you think, right? <laughs> and she's like, "I don't know if you guys noticed, but behind my head, really dark clouds. <laughs> we get a really big storm coming through here, and um, obviously we want you to all be safe because an outdoor uh, amphitheater is no yeah. cover over anything, right? Yeah, yeah." So she's like, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask you all to go back into the casino. And once the storm passes, uh, you know, we, we've already talked to Huey. He definitely wants to come out no matter how late. Uh, so you go inside, and we'll make an announcement when uh, when we think the, the weather's better and have you all come back in. So I'm like, hmm, all right. Uh, so we all file out, go in the casino, and it's a, it's a Labor Day weekend. So the whole place is mobbed as it is, right? Yeah. And so all the bars are packed, so I couldn't get a beer or anything. So I'm like, I'll go over to the poker room see what's going on. Get over there and uh, have a seat in this ten twenty game. Uh, hey, all right. So I sit down and um, and about an hour later, I haven't heard anything. So I'm like, I um, 
I walk all the way across to see the box office. I'm like, hey, is the show back on? He's like, yeah, we just made an announcement. Head back out there. I'm like, awesome. Ran back to the thing, racked up, won 300 bucks in an hour in the game. Wow. So I got paid $270 to watch Huey Lewis that night. Wow. Because otherwise I wouldn't have made it. Because that's when, you know, when he said, oh, the game breaks at 10 or 11. I'm like, oh, man, I'm not going to get out of this concert by then. I'm going to totally miss this 10 20 game. Uh, and I really hated to leave it, but I'm like, you know, it's one of those things where if I decide to stay, who knows what would have happened. It's just a much chance that I would have lost my entire buy-in, yeah. lost all that profit, as yeah. it would have been that I would have made a mortgage payment. But really, really enjoyed playing that game. I wish uh, I wish we could get that game like that going somewhere else. Or even, they had an 816 the night before, too, one of our listeners said. And um, I missed that one, too. So, yeah. But anyhow, Sandia did a, a fantastic job running this event, I think. Uh, first time doing a really big event like this. So appreciate everybody that came out and everybody stopped to say hi. And uh, go to AnyaPokerTour.com for the details on our upcoming events. Yes. All right, this happened while we were on the cruise ship, I think. Uh, PokerStars has rebranded all of its live events, getting rid of the well-known EPT and PokerStars Caribbean Adventure names as it streamlines its live events into two tour types. Poker Stars Championship events and Poker Stars Festival events. The first festival, which encompasses Poker Stars previous regional and more remote events with buy-ins in the 1,000 to 1,500 hour range, will be in October at Resorts Casino in Atlantic City. While the newly named Poker Stars Championship Bahamas will be in January, as always, and this will be the first championship event, which are larger series with main event buy-ins in the 5,000 dollar range. So they go from the PCA to the PCB. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't think about that. Yeah. yeah. So now it's the PCB. And then eventually they'll change it again. It'll be the PCC. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Any updates? Congrats to DM Day for winning the main event of the Blue Shark Optics Blue Buster main event at com. He got 50 bucks and a pair of Blue Shark's Blue Busters lenses, which are specially designed for use in front of your computer for his victory. Mrs. Grand C and Heal Young won cash as runners-up. And Lazy Cowboy, Loophole 1, Jam and J, and Gold Duffer 713 all won cash as champions of preliminary events. Any at PokerRoom.com costs $14.95 a month and is open to players in 25 states where sweepstakes laws allow play. Also, Hollywood Casino Aurora near Chicago will award Any at Poker Cruise balcony packages for our November 14th sailing out of Tampa, Florida, and cash to the top 10 finishers in a mega free roll on October 9th. Win your way into the Mega through one of three monthly free rolls or get direct entry by logging 100 live play hours from now until the tournament. More details at AnnieUpCruises.com. And like I mentioned earlier, it's time for us to build up our uh, AnnieUp ambassadors uh, here in the States. We've, we've, we've uh, got openings in Michigan, North Florida, Louisiana, and even uh, the Pacific Northwest, like I mentioned earlier. So if you're real interested... Uh, go to antiupmagazine.com slash ambassadors and uh, apply. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us a podcast at antiupmagazine.com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. It comes from our buddy Mike Young. Speaking of ambassadors, I recently had a discussion with some folks about games people play in different societies around the world. In Russia, they play chess. In China, they play Go. In America, we play poker. This shows how the different cultures act and react to situations. This led to a discussion of how luck is involved. Go is 100% strategy, no luck involved. Chess is about 90% strategy. How much does luck play in the poker? 
I have thought that it is about 40%, but it might be after a bad session. I, a couple of things. One, I want to say chess is, I don't know how chess is only 90%. What, what luck could be in chess and everything's yeah, in front sure. of you? I mean, it's been a long time since I played chess, so I, I'm not going to question him on it, but I was. Uh, I did uh, raise an eyebrow at that. Yeah. It seems like that's a 100% strategy game as well. Yeah. I mean, you may not see something and make a mistake, but it's still 100% your ability to not see that mistake. It's not like the, the king is hidden inside the deck somewhere and he might come out and get put into check or something. So I, yeah, I mean, I, it's like backgammon. You're rolling dice, so you could get a bad roll. Mm. But in chess, yeah, it's 100. percent I think. I would think. Um, we, we digress. Yeah, and I think the the percentage in poker is probably a little high there. Yeah, that's um, what I told you. I said maybe 20. Yeah, because it. I mean, you know, up until that point, the luck doesn't go your way. You still had decisions to make, and you know, if a card come, a, a, a really qual- a quality poker player will know. The odds and like that guy on the light rail talking about the percentage of outs for a flush and all. I mean, you know these things, so there's a lot of skill involved. And every once in a while, you'll get an unlucky card. But we even had discussions with one of our dealers years ago about there is no luck in poker and that it's not luck at all. And yeah, I would disagree with that. And I agree with that. I mean, I, I disagree. I agree with you. But I mean, if you want to take a a really hard angle at it, right? I would argue, I could argue, I'm not saying I would argue, I could argue that really the only luck in poker is when you are all in and you can't control the rest of the cards, right? Right. If you're all in on the flop, or let's, say, let's even say you're all in on the turn and you've got uh, you've got a dead to a one-outer, right? Right. <laughs> um, and then that card comes, and then boom, you're out of the tournament. I mean, there's nothing you could do to control that card, and there's nothing you can do after that card comes out. So that you have to say uh, is luck at that point, but you're right. Everything getting up to that is strategy, I think. So even though you can't control the cards, you can control what happens after the cards come out yes. if you have that opportunity. So that's why I think I would argue that it's it, it's very much it's a much more strategy than that. And even you know, I guess if you use the example I just said, you could probably even go down to five percent. Um, I think it's a little bit more than that because there are other things that could happen with those cards that before that that leaves you unable to really do anything with your strategy and i think it also depends on how you define the word luck you know i mean the, the, i remember our old binary bunch i think they could put a number on things and say well, it's not luck it's just variance it's exactly how it's supposed to happen in life and it's not luck but it's how you define it to you right. if you're a heavy favorite and you don't win you got unlucky that's just how it goes and if you're a dog and you win you had a one card to come and it got there you were fortunate you were lucky it depends on how you define it but if you want to get strictly numbers then yeah there's no luck in poker at all if you want to do it that way but um 40% to me seems very high right uh, but uh, very interesting, Ooh. and I still don't know what Go is. I have no idea what Go is. I'm not uh, gonna. I've heard of it, but I'm not familiar with. It. I, I thought it was Pokemon it's 100% Go. 100 strategy. I'm out. Though. <laughs> I thought it was Pokemon Go. I didn't it know. Might that. be related. <laughs> uh, hey. But speaking of the binary bunch, real quick, uh, Mark Decker, the header of that, is back. He took a long break from poker. Oh, several he's, years. Of he's back. That's why we haven't heard from him. But he posted on our any uh, Facebook page to let, let us know that he's uh, he's back. So oh, good. Maybe we'll hear about him again. And he was asking whether the binary bunch was still in existence. <laughs> I don't think so. We're keeping their memory alive, but uh, they're not exactly a bunch anymore, like a binary couple. <laughs> Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game, and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been. Email us at podcast at annieupmagazine dot com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo director of poker Elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled.
This week's prize is a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, which specializes in poker odds and math at poker911.net. Comes from Dazam. Dazam. Friendships may be at stake. Three friends playing in a home game who have been playing together for about five years, and in a hand, I am tossing my stack of highest denomination red chips from hand to hand. Uh, a flop. Uh, I flop an up and down straight draw, and I think I better put these chips back down on the table so people can see them. The river is an eight, giving me a straight. I check. A player shoves, and I call. He shows trips, and I show my straight, and uh, start counting out my stacks, uh, starting with the highest denomination chips. Whoa, he says. Where did those red chips come from? They weren't there a minute ago. Um, I wouldn't have shoved had I seen them. He, I said they were in my hands, but were on the table when you shoved. He blamed himself for not looking and paid me off. What should have happened? At the time, I took his money, but I am feeling these chips should not have been in play as they were not on the table and effectively hidden at the start of the hand. The guilt has caused me to offer my friend back the money equivalent to the chips I was playing with. All right, it says, All chips in one stack need to be on the table and visible at all times. Players should not be fidgeting with them in the manner you described. You have realized this and feel guilty about it. Well, let me chip away at that a little. Your opponent and friend is owed a smidge of the responsibility for the situation, too. If his intention was to bet as much as he thought you had, why did he bet all of his chips instead of betting what he thought you had? Why didn't he ask for a count of your stack? Why didn't he bother looking at your stack again when he bet the river? Your offer of a refund of this bet is eminently fair and reasonable given the circumstances of this home game. When similar situations like this have come up in cash games and tournaments, I generally rule against the player who, had, who hid the chips intentionally or otherwise. I then remind all players to pay attention and to call for rulings immediately. This happens a lot, I think. When I used to watch, uh, not this thing, but the people holding the chips. I used to watch the high stakes poker all the time, the TV show. Uh-huh. Right. And they, they're always, they always got chips in their hand playing with them. And I don't mean shuffling. I mean, like, they're calming them, cupping them, and, and like, yeah. rolling them in their hands and stuff. Now, in those games, you know they've got, like, you know, a million behind them or something. So the handful of chips they have is not going to be that big of a deal. But in something like this, this is very interesting. I've never had this happen before. I, I, I've never had this happen in our game or something like that where somebody was holding 10 greens or something that yeah, were worth yeah. a lot more than the reds and blues and stuff. Um, but, yeah, I, I never thought about that. It's like, what? That's interesting. You know, I, huh. I, like in, a, in a casino, what would happen? Um, so this is, yeah, I think it's fascinating. Um, so, first of all, I want to congratulate Dazam on having a conscience. I think that's always good for poker players, right? Sure. Um, but when I wrote him back, I was a little harsher um, on his opponent than Elliot was, I think. Um, you know, obviously, I want the chips on the table so you can see them invisible, and I don't play with my chips other than maybe shuffle like six or seven of them in front of my stack. You know, I'm not I'm not a fidgeter, as Elliot says, like this. So, um, obviously, there is some responsibility that Zam should have, and I don't think he's going to be doing this ever again. And that's the most important thing is you learn from your mistakes and not repeat them, right? Yeah, but um, you know, people do this all the time. Maybe not. You know, again, it's hard to visualize how he was playing with the chips. Um, but it wasn't like he had them under the table or in his pocket, or you know, they were visible. They were just in his hand. So, uh, my question is to the person that that shoved on him: What do you think he was shuffling in his hand? Yeah, what do you think he had in his hand? You know, did he bring a gerbil to the table or something? You know, when I when I look across the table and I see somebody playing with something, uh, you know, I'm going to assume it's chips, or at least I'm going to figure out what it is, right? 
know, maybe it's their phone. I mean, that's about the only thing I can think of other than chips that you would be fidgeting with at the table. So if I'm contemplating making a move, which is obviously what this his opponent was doing, I'm going to stop and ask for questions. I'm going to like, you know, how much do you have? Or what's in that hand? Or like that, I'm not going to just shove and then go, oops, I didn't know. And so, I mean, to his opponent's credit, I think he, he realized that. He's like, you know, I he should have probably, he didn't go into all that detail, but I'm going to put my myself in his opponent's mind that, you know, hey, he realized that he should have made, asked some questions and done some other things before, you know, shoving. So, both, both kind of guilty, but um, you know, I, I'm going to give the Zam a little bit of a pass here. Yeah, the other thing is, I I do want I do feel for his friend though in that there are moments, and you've had them, I've had them, where you're in a hand and you're so focused on either the you know the excitement of the hand or the fact that you just turn trips and you know you look over at a guy's stack and you think oh I can cover that I'm all in and you're not looking at his hands which are above the stack. You know what I mean? There there are moments where you you lose focus on everything and your only tunnel vision is how many chips are on his on his well, felt in front of him. That, you know what I mean? Isn't that more of a mistake on that part? It is. It is a mistake on his part. I'm just saying I can feel for him when you get you get so excited about something that you're not really paying attention to everything that's right. going around around. You know, you're you're more of oh, I have empathy for him. Yeah, I definitely have empathy for him. I, wow. I just uh, it is it is still you need to calm yourself and think rationally and calmly about your next move and not just automatically shove you know like there i can't tell you how many times like i would get it all in with somebody and the dealer is counting out the money and i'm just so excited to get all my money in there and then when the hand's over i think to myself wait a minute i had a bet out there did they pull that back and then give me all those chips and then you start adding it all up and you're like how did i not pay attention to that because you get so excited that you have the absolute nuts and someone's shoving on you that you're not thinking about everything. You're just thinking, I got all my money and I can't lose. But then when the money comes back to you, you're like, wait a minute, does the dealer remember that I put out 20 first? And did he put that back into my stack when he matched it up? Or did I lose out on an extra 20? You start thinking about that because your mind, you're just, you're so focused on, you know, whatever. So I can totally have empathy here. But uh, you're right, it's, you need to calm yourself before you make moves to the table. Absolutely need to calm yourself down and think about everything and look at everything and take it all in before you just go crazy and shove or whatever. So... Uh, we got a new O'Malley's move after a week off. Uh, here it comes. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we're playing that old, bastardized version of Omaha. Pot limit Omaha, high-low, eight or better split. We've been playing for a couple hours now and have a pretty good feel for the table. We've got 240, up about 40. There are a few solid players and several Hold'em players playing any four cards. We are seven-handed. The blinds post, the under-the-gun calls, and we are in the MP with the Ace of Spades, Queen of Clubs, Jack of Spades, Deuce of Clubs. This is a good hand for PLO 8. We've got a suited Ace, we've got three Broadway cards, we are double-suited, and we've got a Deuce. Let's bump it. We make it $9 to go. The hijack, cutoff, button, small blind, and big blind all call. Oh, now I remember why I rarely raise at these types of PLO8 tables. The under the gun folds. The pot is about $45, and the flop is the king of spades, queen of spades, five of hearts. Before I can even celebrate my royal flush draw, the small blind leads out for pot. 
Who calls a raise preflop and then donk bets into four opponents in PLO8? This guy is a converted Hold'em player and plays very aggressively, almost fearlessly. He started the hand with 200. Well, since I was going to bet 30, I guess I can call 45. I know calling is the worst plan in PLO8. Everyone else thankfully folds. The pot is 135, and the turn is the five of clubs. The small blind announces all in, but after a count, it's determined that he still has about $10 left. The bet is pot, 135. So, are we drawing dead to the 10 of spades? What's the move? It's time for Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiotmagazine.com. And our Hand of the Week champion, Vic G, is back. Yay! And uh, he says, I'm playing a, in a nine-handed, one-two no-limit hold'em game with a $400 maximum buy-in at his local Polar Poker Room. Uh, it's been a rough start after my initial $400 buy-in. Uh, I worked it up to 500 before doubling up the second biggest stack after my ace-five suitor ran to his pocket eights on an ace-eight-five flop. I topped off for 200 more, then a few hands later, my pocket nines got run down by the same villain's flush draw on a nine-seven-six flop, doubling them up and felting me. Now, for rebuying for 400 bucks, I worked my stack back up to squiggly 800 when this hand occurred. In both the previous hands, I never showed my cards, so some players might think I'm playing very loose-aggressive or like to run big bluffs. The table's been fairly passive with a few three-bets pre-flop. I've been able to take down most pots with C-bets, and my opening raise has been between $10 and $15, depending on the number of limpers. The villain has moved tables, making me the big stack at the table. That's the background. I'm in C5 in middle position. Two players fold to me and look down at Queen of Hearts, Jack of Hearts. Uh, okay, well, um, we haven't really shown any hands, so we can represent pretty much anything anyway. This, right. is, this is a nice raising hand. You're first into the pot. So what do you say his typical raises were, 10 to 15? Um, yes. All right, let's make it 12. <laughs> Right? I mean, I'm trying to stay right in the middle of what he was saying. I mean, I, it's not a limping hand, and it's not a folding yeah. hand. Well, so. there's no limpers. Uh, he said depending on the number of limpers. So I'm going to assume 10 is what he would normally bet here. Okay. no limpers. But. Yeah, let's just go with 12. All right. You go with 12, I'll go with 10. Mm-hmm. All, All right. right. Either way, same. about the same thing. All right. Uh, Vic says, for some reason, I decided to raise to $7, probably because my recent races have been have taken down the pot preflop, and I want to win more than the blinds. I know this is a terrible reason. But aren't these early mistakes how hands of the week get started? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, a new player in seat six calls, as does the big blind. Seat six is in his 30s and recently bought it for 200 few hands ago. The big blind is an older tight player with about 100 bucks. 20 bucks in the pot after the rake is accounted for. The flop is queen of diamonds, jack of diamonds, six of clubs. Nice uh, flop for my hand with the only concern being the flush of Broadway's draws. Action is on me. What's the move? Okay, so... Big blind must have checked, I guess. He's when I, uh, just a half an hour ago, talked about <laughs> having top two with a baby on board, I checked, hoping that... But I was not the razor, and I was in the blinds. So it's a different situation altogether here. Uh, I showed strength preflop. Um, I think a check here is dangerous because of the diamonds and the straight draw, like you said. I really think we need to make a bet here um, for a, a host of reasons here. Protect mm-hmm. against things, plus we took control of the hand to start. So there's 20 in the pot. I don't know, 15? Yeah, I'm going all. I'm going the full Monty 20 here, I think. 
Okay. Um, and the reason is that I want to try to make them think that my hand is more vulnerable than it is. I think a twenty dollar a, a pot size bet here is going to be what they either they're bluffing, which would be great if they think that, um, or I just have a naked queen. I don't think anybody would put me on queen jack if I bet pot here. And if I take it down, that's great because, as you mentioned, this is a real dangerous board. Right. At this point, I don't want to get cute. But at this point, I'm trying to get. I'm trying to represent that I've got a weaker hand than I really do by betting more than I should. But I'm fine with 15. Is that what you said? Yeah, and he he was saying that he wanted to win more than the blind. So even if he did bet 20 and take it down, he won more than the blinds. So he got 14 yeah. more than. Well, that's true. Than the blinds, and I, so. If he keeps that mentality, I'm kind of worried where his hand's going to go. Yeah. There is a lot of danger in this hand, so um, that's why I think now it's time to bet that pot and see who comes along. And he did mention that somebody at the table only has like a hundred. Yeah. So you know, if you're raising seven and betting twenty, you've bet more than a quarter of what he already has. So, you know, this guy is either gonna if he's got something and he's not particularly tight, he might just shove on you. Um, or he could fold. So either way you're you know, you're gonna take down a, a smallish pot or you're gonna get into into trouble. So we'll see what happens. All right. Or says I'm betting 100% of the time here, especially since the table will see me automatically see bet every flop. I don't want to lose anyone, as has happened in the past, especially now when I've actually hit the flop. So I continue with the same $7 bet, hoping to get played at by back at by the button. Okay, so he's hoping that he thinks there's someone aggressive enough that would raise him. Because like a $7 pot, a bet could be I have pocket tens and now I'm afraid of this flop. Which is what you're hoping they think, and they'll take it away from you with their random jack or queen in their hand. Yeah, I think you got to be confident that someone's going to play back and you make this back. Because seven boxes is nothing for this. I mean, all the draws are going to stick in for seven box, right? Yeah. And that's the thing is anybody with a jack or six would stay in for seven box. And what if they have king jack or king six, and you know they could easily yep uh, suck out all kinds of cards that could come on the turn that are devastating to us. So he's basically asking for trouble. He's playing the people, hoping that they'll do what he wants them to do. I, to me, and Vic is way smarter. Uh, he's a much better player than I think we are, and he's way smarter than what I'm going to suggest he is right now. But this mentality that he has with his hand is the same mentality I see with newbies with pocket aces that limp. Yeah, like my dad. Yeah, they're like, oh, they I got a big hand, so I want to trick you. I don't, I don't want to just get the blinds. I got a big hand. Yeah. And the next thing you know, there's ten people in the hand, and you are in tenth place by the end of the hand. Yeah. And, and that's the whole thing about these hands of the week. It's like, okay, we're getting ourselves into situations that normally we won't get ourselves into, right. or here are the reasons why we get into trouble, and now we're trying to get out of it here. To me... Yeah, I can see what he's trying to do, but now you're reading minds rather than situations. Right, right. And I really don't want to be reading anyone's mind at a poker table. And again, it's a one-two game. I actually had this discussion with Doug um, uh, when we were driving back from the restaurant the other night. Um, You know, the the listener that said that our hand analysis sucks, which it does. Um, But that listener, I know we didn't talk about the show, but he went into this whole thing about how one-two players are so much more savvy now. They know hand ranges and all this other stuff. And I disagree with that. I, I don't think one two players are that savvy still. I think one two is still a minefield of a wide variety of types of players. So mm-hmm. um, I don't think you can count on a one two player being on that third or fourth level with you. I think you got to um, give most players credit for being a first, at best, a second level thinker at the one two level. Yep. 
I have to agree. After spending seven days and nights playing that way, you know, I agree. There were only a handful of players at those tables that I really thought, okay, these guys don't only play at this level. They're they understand everything about the game, and the rest of them were just like, you know, hey, I'm here to have fun. I'm here to enjoy myself and try to make a big hand. Um, this is a dangerous bet to me. I'm just gonna I'm gonna say that I probably would have bet 15 or 20, just because I I feel like I need to get money for the hands that I hit too. I want to get value for these hands, and yeah. Yeah, it seems a lot lot like. And I know this is always the goal of everyone, but it seems like Jack uh, Vic sometimes goes out of his way to try to get every single chip on the table in one hand. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's not what you're supposed to. You're supposed to felt the other people, but there are also times where you want to just win a pot and win some money. And he's already, you know, he's had to work his way back up from being down a buy-in. And um, I understand. I always want to win the maximum amount from somebody if it's possible. But I also don't want to put myself in a perilous position to do it because that's how I lose all my stack too. Well, yeah. And if he's going to do this too, I think if a trouble card comes, he's going to have to consider that he let them catch up. And- yeah. So if he does that, then that's fine. But um, then I'd argue probably lost some value in doing that. So. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. Okay. All right. Uh, seat six calls and the button folds. So it's uh, just us with the uh, the old guy that had 100 at the beginning of the hand. Okay. 33 in the pot. Turn is the ace of diamonds. So our board now is queen of diamonds, jack of diamonds, six of clubs, ace of diamonds. Vic says not the greatest turning card. Yeah, you think? Yeah, that's horrible. <laughs> I mean, that's literally the worst card that could have come. Because now it completes Broadway, it completes a better two-pair, it completes a flush, it completes you know, royal flush. Even somebody limped with a suited ace of hearts, six of hearts now beat you. Um, ace of jack, diamond, ace of, diamond, you know, ace of clubs, jack of clubs, something like that. Any any combination of an ace and those three cards now pulled ahead, plus Broadway, plus a flush. That's, I'm going to say this is the absolute, beyond debate, worst card that could come. Yeah, I don't think a better card... Could have come for somebody. Um, Everything that we were worried about that could be dra- uh, drawing against us hit that card. Yeah. With the exception of maybe, like I said, the king jack or king six hands. Yeah. If you've got if you've got like a six in your hand, you hit that six and you got an ace kicker and you bet seven dollars, you're calling seven dollars into a twenty dollar pot. Absolutely. Yeah. You know. So I mean, wow. Yeah, that's terrible. So now we got to try to navigate their minds and their. Ugh, this is brutal. And it's on us, right? Because the caller was... Well, this is what I don't understand. Uh, our opponent's in the big blind, so he should be acting first, but doesn't seem to be acting first ever um, in this hand. So Okay. So we act first just because... But anyhow, we... in the narrative of the hand here, it is on us, yes. Well, I mean, there is the the sense that we raised pre-flop and we were trying to make it seem like we were afraid of that flop and bet seven and hope somebody would raise us. When somebody didn't, now the ace comes, maybe it's like, okay, well, now we've hit it. Now i got to feel like i got to bet it. Now I'm going to bet like 15, you know, and see what happens. Because if the guy is still drawing somehow, he might just call again. If he's made a better hand than us, he'll make a big raise. Because now he definitely wants to protect his hand, whatever it is, um, unless he's got the absolute nuts, like, you know, king, king something of diamonds, king 10 or whatever. But other than yeah. that, I can't bet here. I'm sorry. I just I don't know what else this guy would be in this hand with that that card didn't infinitely help him. Now, obviously, I'm assuming that he checked to us, but it doesn't seem that way. Maybe the hand is going. Um, but now I just want to control the pot here. I mean, I know you give up control, and now you're opening yourself up to get bluffed out of this on the river. But I would rather check here, 
see that river, hope it's a queen or jack, and um, then I, then I'm back in his hand. But right now, I think uh, I think I uh, I'm way behind now at best, and um, I don't want to put money in here and get raised and then have to fold. If you were first to act, like you you believe we're second to act here, but we don't know what happened. Yeah. But if we were first to act, you you're checking, and then if he bets pot, are you folding? <clears throat> uh probably. Yeah. I don't like this card. Yeah, I know, yeah, I know, I know. You know. Everything, I mean, all all the analysis and thinking I've thought about that, that this is the worst card, and not just the worst card, but I mean, this card completes like everything I was worried about. If he's on a flush draw, he got there. If he's on a, um, if he was open-ended with a king-10, he got there. If he had ace-jack or ace-six, he got there. Yeah. Hmm. Really, the only thing I can think of that would still be in this hand that this card didn't help was getting that King Jack or King Six scenario, I said, or just a naked ace that thought we had nothing. And that's possible, I guess, but uh, I think it's so much more possible that, that this card hurt us than helped us. So, Do you think uh, making a bet here, a smallish bet like I said, might help us get to the river for a cheaper yeah, price? Yeah, if we think that the person's not going to raise us, then... Yeah, I mean, in that sense, if we if we really think that the person, whether he hit this hand or not, now is not going to raise us, and we're going to put out a blocking bet, I guess you would call it there, maybe, um, or a pot control bet, whatever you want to call it, right. um, then absolutely, I would do that. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't be. Con- I don't know this guy, so I can't be confident about it. Um, all, all we know is this guy's a tight player. Um, and generally, the type of players I know when they get the goods now they're raising. So if you make a smallish bet and you get raised, then you've only lost ten or fifteen. If you check and he bets thirty, you'll never get to that river. You won't know that. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm I'm trying no, to think I, of a smallish I'm open bet. To what you're saying, I yeah. And I I think we we were trying to get cute with this hand and we got caught up on. It and now I don't want to have to play this guess. It's a cash game again. This is the other thing. In a tournament, then you got to think a little bit harder because you got to figure this stuff out. In a cash game, I could fold. And there's another hand coming. Yeah. So I, you know, I know that's why I don't do as well in cash games as other people because they 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 spend a lot of time thinking about this kind of stuff. But one two no limit. I, I'm telling you, I think the way to play one two no limit is pretty much ABC. There's enough players at the table that aren't as good as you are. So don't try to get tricky with them. Just bet your hands when you get them and they're going to pay off and we've had this conversation on the show and I think we've had it specifically with Vic or about Vic about the ABC and I think I've had this I'm positive now that we we've gone back and forth on like poker radius or or even just in emails and stuff and saying I really don't think you need to get this tricky with these people that you just need right. to play your hand straight forward and at you the know one two. Now, at the like one two. Five, that's a different story oh yeah of course that's we, we are talking about one two so, yeah, one two, so. Um, right. you're right I mean I, I think I'm going to bet here just because I took control. I made a smallish bet. If the guy thinks that I might be afraid of an ace, or you know, I mean, might have had an ace and afraid of that flop or whatever, now I've got to represent the ace. Maybe represent the flush. If the guy raises me, I lost ten bucks. But if if he just calls, now I see the river and maybe get the queen or the jack. The problem is going to be is if he has ace jack, and now he smooth calls, and then the jack comes and we make a bone. He's got a bigger one. That's the scary thing. But. um what I'm, I'm going to do is I'm going to bet like 10 or 15 here just because I feel like I'm still it's still my pot. I'm still controlling it, and we're going to find out right away if this guy's hit more. Because you said, like you said, that these tight 1-2 players, if they make the nuts, they're going to raise us. So if I make 10 or 15, hey, okay, I, I fooled around a little bit earlier on the streets, and I paid the price. I won't do that again. 
let's move on and learn from our mistake. But in this case, well, I think you're talking into this because you know, if you check behind now, you now you're opening yourself up to being bluffed. If yep. you continue to bet, even a small bet, you take it away that I think you take away that um, encouragement to your opponent to bluff you on the river. Yeah, because there's always that where they're maybe they have two pair or maybe they have a straight, but they're thinking you only bet a little bit because you're on a flush draw. Now the flush got there and you're still betting a little bit because you're trying to keep me. They're not going to say they they have to have that tinge of doubt now. Whereas if you check, they're bold emboldened by that. Now there's a tinge of doubt of raising you because they might get re-raised again and not unless they have the absolute nuts. There's that tinge of doubt, so that's why I like that bet. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, Vic says, I don't want to check and give up control of the hand, so I make that same $7 bet to see how the villain will react. <laughs> he just calls. Wow. He says, maybe he has a king or a queen with a diamond. I have no idea. My bets were too small to get any real information. Jeez. With $45 in the pot, the river is the jack of spades, completing a board of queen of diamonds, jack of diamonds, six of clubs, ace of diamonds, jack of spades, and action is on us. Now, is this the player who had 100 in front of him? Yes. Yeah, all right. Well, then we're not going we're broke, not worried, at least. Right? Yeah, we're not at least going broke, but... <laughs> I mean, this is our gin card, except unless he had ace-jack, right. you know, or queen-queen. Which I hadn't really been worried about until you mentioned that, so... But no. Yeah. But also, I'm not worried because this stack is big enough that I'm not going to fold a bow here to him. So, I mean, that's the one hand. I mean, it, that is the one hand, right? Well, yeah. Well, pocket aces. Uh, two hands that, that, that have his beat. This is the moment where I just bet 25 and hope to get called. It seems like the right amount or... That sounds right. I mean, we've been betting seven the whole time, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could be funny and bet seven. <laughs> you know, because you kept doing that. Some people do that, too. They just keep making the same bet because that's just... They're, like, making an unlimited hand or something. But I would bet, like, 25. I like it. I like it. Um, all right. Uh, Vic says, a uh, great river card. I'm probably way ahead here, and those $7 bets on every street have probably disguised my hand. I don't want to fold out my opponent, and I think he'll call $25. Holy shit. That's crazy. I place the stack of five red ships in the pot and just stare at the board. I can see in the corner of my eye that he's taking a while and has his cards in his hand like he's thinking of folding. I'm mentally willing him to call. <laughs> Finally, I hear chips being tossed in the pot, but as I start to table my hand, I see that he min-raised me. Interesting. I think this is what I wanted, uh, but could he have been playing ace-jack, or did he just decide to come alive with a turn flush or straight against what he perceived to be a weak betting pattern? Action's back on us. Uh, well, it is hand of the week, and we did mention ace-jack earlier. Yeah. I don't mind just calling. It, I think that's a safe play, right? Yeah, I'm just going to call. And, and if, you, if they're like, how'd you just call? Like, hey, well, you know, then you could tell them why you just called, and then, you know... You're smarter than, than you think because you've put together a hand the way it played out that could have beaten you, so you're saving some money. So I'm just going to call. Okay, that's what I'm going to do too. Uh, Vic says, I'm only beaten by the Royal Flush, Pocket Aces or Queens, and Ace Jack. Uh, I can see him playing King of Diamonds, Ten of Diamonds like that, or maybe even Ace Jack, but not the Pocket Pairs. The two previous bad beats are still in my head, but Feldingham will also get me back to even for this session. After thinking this through, I move all in. And he snap calls, tabling the king of diamonds, deuce of diamonds. Oh, okay. So we still win. Yeah. Yay! Back, I'm glad I continued through with that $7 turn bet to keep uh, control of the pot, else the villain could have easily bet me off my two pair had I checked or put me to a tough decision had I had a bigger uh, had a bet bigger and got played back. So, yeah. So, it, so you both came around to convincing me that we should have bet there. So. 
The problem here, and if you want to go back in time and start over real quickly, I mean, that $7 bet got him in this situation. He needed to hit a four-outer to win this hand now because he made an original bet of seven. If he makes it his normal 10 or 12 or 15, the King Deuce probably does not call. This guy's got 100 in front of him. He's tight-ish. But he was in the blinds, and you let him stick around for... You know what I mean? For for five more bucks, and then he flops a flush draw and a backdoor straight draw, and then he f- turns the nuts because he's got the king in his hand. It's the absolute nuts because he can't make a royal without that king, and he's got it. So he turned the absolute nuts on you, and you, you let him stick around for seven bucks for the, the flush and seven bucks for the flop. And Yeah, okay, but I just don't like to get cute in these games. I want to know what these guys have, and I just want to make my money and get out. When I play on the cruise ships, I play because of necessity for the ship. And then when I play, I just want to make my money and get out. I don't want to get cute because I, when they get cute, they you're helping them, and they don't need the help. You know what I mean? And they, I mean, they need that help. You don't need to give it to them. So, but he got lucky here. He actually got lucky. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Hopefully, I'm healed next week. <laughs> I'm Chris Casenza, and I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Music.